Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison, the state as their captor. The prison begins after, uh, after slavery. You know, you had all these people on all these plantations, all these farms who are making money. America is built on the exploitation of black labor. America is built on slave labor. So slavery ends, and suddenly the slave codes turn into black codes, right? Because the 13th Amendment abolishes slavery, right? But it only abolishes slavery except under the condition of prison. In other words, if you commit a crime, if you're incarcerated, according to the 13th Amendment, slavery is still allowed. So you're technically a slave if you're in prison. Absolutely. You can legally be told what to do. Your labor can be forced, etc. So if, if, no, if, if nobody's a, if you, So think about it like this. You need slaves to keep the economy going. You don't have slaves anymore unless people commit a crime. So what do you do? You make everything a crime. So suddenly the slave codes became the black codes. So now black people can be arrested for vagrancy, for standing outside, for cursing in front of a woman, for being out of town without a job. All of these things, which are fairly arbitrary crimes, or if crimes at all, they take them and they throw them back into the prison. And then they have something called the convict lease system, where the prison can lease the convicts out to the same plantations they left to do the same work that they did as slaves. So now the slaves have become free only to become slaves again through prison. And that is the system that we're dealing with right now, a, a, a new version of the convict lease system. And that's why labor is exploited, and that's why prisons have become even more for profit. That's why we see more privatization, because people because make, people a money, make, make a money in this country off exploited labor, and this is one example of it. Change your mind. Stop calling it the things that it is not. It's not mass incarceration. It's not all those things I mentioned before. What is it? Slavery. What do we want to hear? Slavery. What are we fighting? Slavery. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org. As you will find from start to finish, this is a program like any other, unlike any other. My name is Max Parthas. I'm joined by my co-host, Yusuf Hassan. Peace, Yusuf. Hey, Max. Peace, Harmony. And co-host, Harmony YZ. Well, Harmony Wise. Peace, Harmony. Peace. Well, riots, pandemics, institutional racism, legal slavery, death camps, unmarked mass prison grave sites, and in in plain sight, human rights crisis like you ever experienced in U.S. history, it's all part of tonight's program. Uh, I just want to point out that I wanted to play originally another track, but for some reason the voices weren't showed up, didn't show up on our intro track, so I switched to our standard. Uh, once again, welcome to Ab- Abolition Today. How has your week been, uh, Harmony? Um, it's been pretty good. Um, just working and making sure I stay under quarantine when I'm not working. When I'm not quarantined, i staying at home. I'm following Ohio's stay-at-home law that we have now. 
um, and going out only when I need to. But it's been pretty good besides that. And Brother Yusuf? Yeah, I'm doing well, Max. I mean, I'm well. My family's well, so I'm thankful for that, you know, uh, just maintaining as best as I can under these conditions. Awesome, man. Uh, that's about all we can do. Uh, I would like to point out that uh, just a few days ago, we passed the 109th anniversary of one of the so-called reasons that convict leasing was supposedly abolished in the U.S. Uh, on April 8, 1911, when the Banner Mine near Birmingham, Alabama exploded, killing 128 people in that mine. And according to the official investigation report, 90% were Negro convicts under the convict lease system. The few other men in the mine were white convicts and free Negroes who were employed as demolitions experts or foremen who would shoot anyone trying to escape. Uh, you know, they say it was abolished at that point, but we all know that convict leasing continues to this day. Yeah, absolutely, Max. Uh, what they usually do is, as usual, you know, repackage it, put another name on it, and then they just pass it on and continue going with business as usual. You know, from the Unicorn, then they change it to some other names, and then it's just, you know, really fancy names now, or under the guise of teaching trades that are supposedly going to transfer into uh, the prisoners being able to get certain jobs when they come home, and we know the fallacy of that. Right. Uh, as a matter of fact, right now, we have prisoners who are making all kinds of products and goods and services for the pandemic's use. And uh, they're making like 10 or 11 cents an hour, except for one small group, which is heartbreaking to see, as a matter of fact. And I'm talking about the prisoners out on Rikers uh, who are being paid $6 an hour to dig mass graves. And I've seen the video footage of this myself from a helicopter's perspective. They're digging uh, these grave sites, which is one big hole that can hold about 12 to 15 plain wooden caskets where people are just being put in there side-by-side, casket side-by-side, and then covered with dirt using land movers. It's heartbreaking to see that we have these people dying in these prisons, their bodies are being unclaimed, and they're just becoming forgotten people buried in the back of a freaking prison by prisoners who are getting which to them is a fortune, $6 an hour. That's not something you usually get. But under the circumstances, that's probably the only way they can get people to do it. Harmony? I apologize about that. I'm here. Um, yeah, so that's exactly what I wanted to talk about um, in my segment today, uh, specifically on Ohio. Uh, there's been multiple reports and multiple articles of not only the governor approving um, prisoners to make uh, protective care for the hospitals, um, but also inside the prisons they have to uh, make their own mask as well. So I'm going to touch more on that in my segment. Um, but yeah, well, just like Yusuf said, it's a you know same thing, just a different name, and they they're going to keep trying to remodel it and trying to fool the people and uh, make it seem like you know. It's for the benefit of the people on a nationwide scale that we have prisoners doing work that they're not being paid for, that they're being paid for um, pennies on the on the do, on the dollar, and doing 
jobs that they wouldn't be able to do once they're released, which is ridiculous. And definitely needs to you change. Know, I was just uh, telling you prior to the program that I was reading some history today about the convict lease system and found out that as recently as 2010, a federal court held that prisoners have no enforceable right to be paid for their work under the Constitution. And when they say under the Constitution, they're talking directly about the 13th Amendment, which has this exception clause for prisoners duly convicted. And the exception clause is that one that allows for slavery or its synonym, um, which is uh, slavery and indentured servitude. So it's right there in the Constitution, and they know it, and they know it as much as making a ruling just a decade ago, 2010. Uh, the practice of convict leasing uh, is well described in many historical documents. I was doing some searches today, and I asked the simple question, was convict leasing just legalized slavery? And boom, it popped right up with that very uh, statement and an answer to it. And they was basically saying that the practice of convict leasing extracted a substantial human cost with death rates among leased convicts running about 10 times higher than death rates among prisoners in non-leasing states. In 1873, for example, 25% of all black leased convicts died while serving their sentences. And I couldn't help but think about the same comparison happening today with the COVID virus where, you know, people – because there is a racial discrimination aspect of this whole virus, and people are dying in those same types of numbers. And once again, it's one dies, get another. Because once those prison beds are empty and this virus thing is over, you can rest assured they're going to do everything they can to fill them as quickly as possible. Yusuf? Yeah, and, you know, and speaking of, you know, what the inmates are being forced to do just before we came on the air i came across an article that mentioned that they would be that florida prison inmates will make face masks for their correctional officers and you know the first thing that came to my mind was well look at this we have the enslaved who will be making the master's clothing and his whip you know that's the, just hmm. the first thing that while they're making these masks and they're also not allowed to have the masks themselves they don't get any type of uh, sanitation. There's one video that I'm hoping that we'll be able to get up where it comes from inside the prison where, you know, one prisoner was was stating how bad the conditions are, and he was actually walking around with the cell phone showing, you know, another guy on the unit who's, who's uh, almost terminally ill, as he described in it, and he's you know, this guy's bunk is, you know, maybe 10 feet away from his, and they just have this guy laying right on the unit with them with the mask on his face. So we have these type of situations going on, and I'm going to cover a lot more of it later on in the program. Max? Um, definitely looking forward to hearing what you guys have put together for this uh, evening's broadcast. You know, uh, I was just saying to you earlier that, People are, are really looking for understanding, and that's something that we're helping to bring here uh, from a different perspective, one that you don't hear very often, and that's of a slavery abolitionist. And we're slavery abolitionists because we know what we're dealing with. We're not pretending or beating around the bush. We know exactly what this is. We've watched it work over the years, and we can break it down to the very smallest molecule. And over the coming weeks and potentially years, we will be doing just that for you right here on the Abolition Today. You know, um, in 2017, the three of us went to D.C. along with uh, 
many, many others. And we participated in what was the largest gathering of slavery abolitionists in U.S. history, right there across the street from the White House uh, on, at Freedom Plaza. And myself and Harmony were speakers at, at that event, but there was another person there as well, uh, and that's Albert Woodfox. And Albert Woodfox spent 44 freaking years in solitary confinement in Angola prison. And, um, you know, we all got to meet him and, and speak with him right there. He's a very special person. And I remember Greg Jacoy telling me that, you know, at one point I guess he tried to hug him. And Albert explained to him that one of the things about being in solitary confinement, the most in history to use in the United States, is that after 44 years you're not used to human contact and you, you don't know how to react to that type of thing. A simple thing is a hug. Life has been changed forever. I recently heard a, a interview with him on Democracy Now!, and I would like to share that with our listening audience to hear what Albert Woodfox had to say about what's going on in Angola with the COVID virus. So we're going to play that right now. You know, I, I, I stay in contact uh, with uh, prisoners uh, in Angola, you know, the who call and, you know, try to keep me abreast of what's going on. Uh, of course, I'm not allowed to visit the pr- uh, prison. Uh, because of, uh, you know, uh, the 44 uh, years of uh, solitary confinement and my activities are organized against, uh, you know, the corruption and the brutality that existed uh, in Angola. Uh, so uh, from my conversation with some of the guys I've talked with, uh, the, you know, the prisoners are actually scared to death, you know, because, uh, as, as is the case in most prisons, uh, the medical care in prisons is almost non-existent. And realizing the danger of uh, this, this uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic, uh, they're afraid that uh, this, this, this virus may take hold in prison. And uh, the damage that it could do, the death it, it could cause, you know. And, uh, you know, I talked with him. Matter of fact, I had a conversation with somebody yesterday, and they are housing uh, the uh, infected uh, prisoners at a uh, bad unit. It was a living quarters at Camp J. And uh, to my understanding from my conversation, uh, yeah, none of these staff uh, that normally work at Angola is involved in uh uh, you know this this uh, unit, and and you know uh, that's their concern. You know, uh, uh, a lot feel that uh, the complete picture is not being told. Uh, a lot of uh, believe that uh, you know uh, more security people and, and, and civilian uh, workers uh, have been affected than that's been that's being reported. You know, so. Uh, it's a horrible situation statewide, you know, in fact, uh, uh, that 70% of the debt uh, African America is a national, it's an international disgrace. That was Albert Wood Fox, uh, who spent 44 years in solitary confinement inside of Angola Prison, giving his commentary uh, based on his contacts with the prisoners inside of Angola Prison. Uh, I'll go to you, Harmony. You might be muted, hey, honey. Uh, there you go. Yeah, I, I unmuted. Sorry. Um, 
Yes, I do remember meeting Alfred Woodfox, and um, it was an honor to meet him. Um, as far as, I'm sorry, as far as the, you know, the prisoners, uh, you know, being scared, they have every right to be. Um, as I said before, I work in the um, corrections, but in the treatment on the treatment side. So I work in a facility, um, and we have about a total of um, close to 100 men. And uh, each week we are releasing more, but at the same time, they're still allowing more, you know, people to come in, to uh, more clients to enter the facility as new clients. So a lot of times they're coming from prisons and jails. Um, and Ohio, just uh, in different uh, prisons across Ohio, that every day there's new cases of COVID being in the prison, so in, in the prisons and jails. So the clients that are that have been in our program, they're scared as well because they're still allowing people to come in from the outside instead of shutting everything down. And really, they should all be released, but that's actually that actually cannot happen because of individual cases. Um, some people, they don't have anywhere to be released to. Um, so I just feel like that it's upon the state to figure these things out in this pandemic um, in order to keep everyone safe, and that includes uh, prisoners and uh, clients that are in reentry uh, programs as well. Hey, uh, yes. Max, so yes, we actually have a live caller who's calling from a prison in New Jersey. He's actually on my cell phone, and I'm hoping that you can we'd be able to pick him up because he wants to say a few words about what's going where he is. Oh uh, yeah, we can do that. Is, is are you three waying him in? No, 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 no. He's on. I'm I'm on I'm on the radio from my home phone. He's on my cell, and hopefully you'll be able to pick him up. Um. Okay. If he's on your cell, uh, yeah. Let's see if we can hear him. I don't know. If we'll be able to, but we'll try. All right, let's give it a shot. Go ahead, bro. Well, I'm, I'm reporting live front and center at New Jersey State Prison at the moment, and you know it's it's everything everything that all the so all the executive orders that was that was handed out by the by the governor they're not being followed inside the New Jersey State Prison because we we have yet to receive masses. Um, people are not getting tested, and currently we didn't have one death. And people are still being brought with inside the New Jersey State Prison's facility that that has COVID-19. So, mm. and medical staff, you know, we got other medical complications. People, as far as with underlying underlying ailments such as diabetes, they are being compelled to come in small small areas with people that can that can possibly be contaminated from the COVID um, virus, but. You know they're receiving orders from their chain of command to 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 allow um, inmates to be put into these small locations with people who may be infected or who who can provide people with this virus. Um, and we're just we're just going back and forth right now currently. But they have they have implemented the social distance, but at the same time, it, it's really. It's not it's not beneficial because we're already close contained as it is. So with every movement that every movement that we have, it's always uh, uh, how can I say we, we we actually don't really ex 
exercise social distance because we move in the packs. Any mass move right. has to be with three, four, five people together. They never send one individual person someplace. So it's always a high risk of somebody else transmitting or passing that disease to multiple inmates. That That is beyond our control. And custody doesn't seem to, um, they don't, they don't respect the executive order as far as in that in that regard. So, um, so have they shut down anything like uh, law library movement or religious services, rec, anything like that? Everything has been everything has been cut off. We have no rec. We have no no access to the law law library. We have no recreation. We have no religious services. None of that stuff is going on inside here. Everything is at a hold. We, get, we come out for showers, um, but we're not being permitted to have the extra kiosk time like, like it was mandated by the executive orders or the orders that came from the commissioner. You're talking about J- J-Pay, J-Pay phone calls yeah. and emails. Yeah, J-Pay, they, they're, not, they're not totally complying with that. They're not totally complying with that with inside the jail. We're not receiving stamps. Anymore. We got stamps one time since the epidemic um, reached its peak. And we haven't received any since then. No one has been getting stamps on JPay or any anything of that nature. Um, the people, you know, a lot of people was waiting for the social justice reform bills that were um, initially um, reported in 2019. A lot of nonviolent nonviolent drug offenders. We've been sitting back waiting to see if we can have some type of relief. Um, based on based on the data that was provided in the sentencing dispositions committee report, but we have yet to see anything from that. The public defender office, they are not in contact with nobody. Um, you know, the ILA, the MA legal associations, um, which I'm a part of, we've constantly tried to make contact to see what is the, the update status with it or talk to specific attorneys or um, retained for for defendants within inside the jail to see what's going on, what's the updated status is from these these coming legislative bills that were passed or enacted, and where everything is just on standstill. So you know, it almost seems like we're we're, we're running, but we're running nowhere fast. We're running in place. Are you guys in uh, lockup twenty three a day uh, like they're doing with the juvenile detention facilities? Have, we don't have any service. The only thing we're permitted to do at this point in time is come out for showers. We get to use our normal um, kiosk time and our normal phone time. We have no extra incentives. No extra incentives have been initiated inside this institution. And this is the, the, the max facility. What are they doing as far as uh, cleaning supplies and everything? Are they giving you any type of extra anything? They're giving us, they're, they're giving us generic bars of soap. That's it. Any any <laughs> mask? I, I already know they're not giving hand sanitizer. Are they no, giving masks? No mask. No mask. No hand sanitizers. They're providing us um generic bars of soap that they've been passing out, like as far as um, toiletries and stuff like they do once a month. They've been giving. They gave us some extra soap, hand soap. But other than that, we haven't seen anybody come through with any chemicals that that kills or, or anything like that. We have to. Yeah. We have to do this ourselves and maintain with disinfectant that we we use to clean ourselves. We have to come out and try to try to um, share these share these chemicals so we can try to keep things sanitized as best as we can. Yeah. 
So what's the overall state of mind? Are people panicking? How how, how are the rest of the brothers there? Uh, everybody, right now, everybody's on eggshells. You know, we're trying not to, we don't want to show any type of ambivalence towards um, the authority figures. So we maintain, but it's very stressful because we don't have a, we don't have any, anyone to speak to other than the regime that's placed here. And this regime is all a part of a system that's, um, they're, they don't really respect the rights of inmates. You understand? Right. So they, you tend to be on one side, and we tend to stand on the other side. You understand? And it's just like it's, it's, it's just totally, totally um, it's, 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 it's somewhat, it's somewhat stressful. That's all I can say about it. It's very stressful and it's very tense. You know, especially for people who don't have, who don't have. You got a lot of guys who've been down here 27, 30 years. They don't have any family, so they don't have nobody that can call and contact someone and talk to about these issues. Um, hey, I, I want to ask you a question, brother. And first of all, I want to say thank you for the risk that you're taking by getting this information out. I'm not going to ask your name on air, but I'll get it from Yusuf later so you know, I know who we're speaking to. But I, I want to know, is your condition in Jersey like it is in Alabama? In Alabama, there are people dying in the cells of COVID. There are people who are suffering from it laying right there in the cell next to other people, you know, two or three in a room, uh, and they know these people have COVID. Is that the circumstance there, or are they removing them from the cell rooms as they discover that they have this virus? Well, currently, once somebody, from from what I've observed so far, is that when somebody somebody passes out, they call this code. It's called code fifty nine. That indicates that it's a medical, it's a serious medical concern. And then they will have the abstract team with a nurse come to this area, and then they will test the person. You know, we had a couple. We just had two just tonight. We had two tonight, but on the other side of the jail. So what they do is they'll test the person and. Um, currently they open up one wing and they have specific inmates housed in there right now that, that, are, that are infected with COVID-19, but it's a continuing process, though. It's pretty soon they, they're not going to have any place to pit anybody because you're, you're now starting to, you're bringing in jail, like I said, people from mid-state had and were transferred and they came um, down here to Northern um, New Jersey State Prison, and then you had people that were transferred from Mid-State went to Southwood State Prison. So they're trying to figure out ways to do it, but at the same time, you're, if, if, they don't, if they're not, if there's nowhere to play, there's nowhere else to put them, they're going to put them in the population where they have us at. Or, like, we may run across this same person that has it, and he may be a medical, and we have to go sit in a holding tank with that person. Then you understand what I'm saying? So they're not really giving us the they're not giving us a, a, any type of lead way, whereas though we could maintain, if we had masks, if we had masks, then it would be okay for us to go someplace and be interactive. Let me run across people in small groups, but that's not the case. We don't have the protective, we don't have the protective gear to prevent the infection. You understand what I'm saying? So yes. that's basically what's going on. Thanks. Wow. Thank you, brother. Harmony, did you have any questions for this brother who is uh, in, behind the enemy lines in New Jersey? Say that again. I have 60 seconds remaining. No, I don't have any uh, questions. I just wanted to let you know that um, we in Ohio are definitely in solidarity 
uh, with the brothers in uh, New Jersey. Just keep your head up. Thanks, you. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. I'll spread the word to everybody in here that we do have people out there that are definitely concerned about our well-being in here. I'll definitely deliver the message. And if you if anybody would like to continue correspondence, you can contact on you can go on Facebook and contact Dewan Peanut Dennis. He goes live. He's going live at five on Friday this Friday. 
you know, bails and, you know, low-level crimes. So that happened there. We just, I mean, I can't report anything better on New Jersey than what we just heard. I mean, the brother dropped some bombs on us, and it's, you know, definitely completely different than what I was planning on reporting of New Jersey, you know, because New Jersey was just going to give, you know, my report was just going to give the the media released information, but we actually just heard from someone who's right in the thick of it, right, you know, on the front line. So I'll skip over New Jersey, and I'll defer to the brother for what you heard for New Jersey. And in New York, we know Governor Cuomo is, you know, he's having his daily thing going on with CNN and his tug of war between uh, Mayor de Blasio of New York City and and President Trump. But one article that really struck me, you know, Cuomo had promised the release of 400 people from Rikers Island who were there for minor parole violations. So far, only 195 of them have been released. But there's one that really breaks my heart, and it's of this guy, Raymond Rivera. He was arrested for a minor parole violation, the violation which is basically that he traveled out of state to visit family without permission. That's his crime. He waited for months for a final decision. His warrant was finally lifted on April 3rd. He actually got sick on April 3rd, and he died on April 4th. And I pause just for effect on that. You know, that, that wow. really hurt me hearing that that situation. Then when we look at some places across the country, the L.A. County Jail, They've released about 1,700, but, of course, that's a far cry from their 22,000 daily average, and they're very in very cramped conditions out there as well. So we're sure that their numbers are going to be very high. Any numbers that I mention, the numbers are going to be far greater because they're not real-time. This is not real-time information that we're getting. Uh, if we look at Louisiana, there is there is one uh, article coming out of Louisiana where it says to limit coronavirus spread in prisons, Louisiana considers releasing some inmates. And this comes after dozens of Louisiana state prisoners have tested positive for the virus, but state officials are starting to consider release some inmates. So look at uh, Louisiana Governor John Bell Edwards said Thursday that the Department of Corrections is compiling a list of inmates who might be eligible for medical furlough. So they're only looking at those that have medical conditions. They're not even talking about the low-level offenders, people, you know, nonviolent crimes, little petty crimes. Uh, in Oklahoma, Governor Stitt approves 452 commutations, and 404 have been approved time served. So those prisoners are going to be released on April 16th. So over uh, 200 nonviolent low-level offenders have been released from the Oklahoma County Jail. So we see things that are happening on the state and the federal, uh, I'm sorry, the state and the county level in Oklahoma. If we look at Arizona, uh, Governor Ducey has, re- has reported he has no planned releases. Again, he has no planned releases. 
because he's citing out of their 42,000 inmates, only 60 tests have been administered with 48 testing negative, 11 pending, and now only three inmates testing positive. This is what he's stating. So since these numbers are so low, he's not considering anyone for any types of releases. Uh, we take Governor Asa Hutchinson out in Arizona. They've indicated that uh, he's not actively considering releasing any at-risk inmates from state prisons due to the virus. And they said that the Department of Correction houses 15,000 inmates, and there's no consideration for any of them. And we look at the hypocrisy of uh, Asa Hutchinson. You know, he's a former congressman as well. He stated that, you know, he has all these these uh, press conferences of any and everything about protecting those out out in the environment or the citizens of uh, Arkansas. He has all these great plans and these great talks, but he has no consideration for the inmates. In Wisconsin, of the 23,000 inmates that are there, they're going to release 1,148. That's as of uh, two days ago. And they've, they're also uh, considering an unspecified amount of nonviolent prisoners with less than a year left on their sentences. Kentucky gover- Kentucky's governor last week freed almost 1,000 inmates. And finally, these I didn't want to go through all the states of everything that was going on. I just wanted to grab a few. But also we have in uh, Texas, there's an ongoing battle between Governor Abbott, who uh, who's blocking jail releases. So this case has actually gone all the way to the state Supreme Court, and I believe it's also going to be argued in uh, federal court soon that he, Governor Abbott, is issued an order to stop even misdemeanor crimes from being released. You know, he put an order out stating that judges weren't going to be allowed to release people for not nonviolent offenses based on convictions that may have uh, occurred years ago. So you could have a person where they're in for receiving stolen property right now. You know, these, you know, someone paid for a stolen laptop and they could be in jail for that, but they could have had, you know, a robbery charge 25 years ago. And based on that, he's saying that they can't be released as well. So much of all of this information is going to be available on our page. We have so many different articles from so many different sources. There's a plethora of information out there. I just wanted to touch on this briefly and as we go on, we'll discuss it more, Max. Thank you so much for uh, getting that information out for us, Yusuf. Really appreciate it, brother. There's some things that I have uh, that stand out for me, though. Uh, for instance, of the 1.3 million people in state prisons, 153,000 of them are in there for nothing more than public order. So, you know, jaywalking or you know, minor things. Where there broken is prison. Yeah, broken windows. And the number of releases that they're talking about aren't even close to just that number. So it seems like they really don't want to let anybody go. Uh, just the, the, the most, you know, simplest way of, 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 that they can. And then I'm also hearing, and this is not in our program planning page, uh, but it, we can probably find it, is that they're using for the first time in history an algorithm program to determine who gets released and who doesn't. 
And based on what I've been reading from places like, I believe it's the Marshall Project, where they were saying that these are loaded with racial biases. So a lot of the people that they're being that are being released are from white collar crimes, rather than you know. Uh, drug possession or intent to distribute for small amounts, because we know that just in 2017, there were more arrests for simple possession of marijuana than there were for all violent crimes combined. So, you know, as I said, it just seems like a concession, like they're just pushing out a few, a few hundred here, a few hundred there. In Alabama, they have, uh, like you said about Wisconsin, 21, 22,000 prisoners, and in at least one of those prisons, it's at triple occupancy. It's it's at 300% occupancy, and they are uh, not willing to release anybody, despite the fact that a majority of them are in there for nonviolent property-related crimes. Harmony? Yes, I'm here, Max. Did you want me to start my segment, or...? Uh, no, not yet. What I want you to do is any commentary okay. you have on what we just heard from Yusuf. Um, no, I don't have any commentary. I just want to thank Yusuf for updating us um, on the issue across the, the nation. And I look forward to learning more next week, actually. I didn't know that. All right, well, I, I, we're going to go a little bit over today. Uh, I hope everybody stays with us. We've got a hell of a lineup for you that we want to go through. Uh, I want to play a clip uh, first, which is a uh, video that came out of Alabama prisons where the prisoners themselves are pleading for help. And I want to let everybody hear uh, what they're saying about what they're dealing with inside Alabama prisons, where the standard occupancy rate is close to 200% across the prisons uh, statewide and as much as 300% in some. So here we go. We need help. Desperate pleas from behind bars. Death is imminent for us. Prisoners in the Alabama correctional system fearing for their lives as the coronavirus pandemic spreads. It's going to be a mass grave site up in these prisons. CNN obtained this video from inside state prisons in just the last week, capturing just how deplorable conditions are in the facilities. The State Department of Corrections, in an internal document obtained by AL.com, sounding the alarm, quote, 21,900 inmates being housed in crowded dormitories creates a very high exposure risk situation. They, they are not giving us hand sanitizer. They're not giving us proper soap. They're not giving us uh, masks. Inmates crammed together, overflowing in some spaces. We're stupid crowded, we're super crowded, and it's super dangerous with the coronavirus. Alabama state prisons are among the most crowded in the country, according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics. And the Justice Department found the 13 major facilities in the state were 182% past capacity. One even at three times capacity. AKOC here, they had no preventive measures to stop coronavirus from coming in. And by the prison being so overcrowded, once it's in this prison, it will flood like wildfire. Almost no testing of prisoners has been done. The internal Alabama Department of Corrections document reveals that in the worst case scenario, nearly 200 inmates could die, given that conditions will, quote, accelerate the transmission of disease among the inmate population as well as the Alabama Department of Corrections staff. Social or physical distancing is not an option. That's high. 
That's how close we are. And while some states and Attorney General Bill Barr have released some inmates early to help mitigate the oncoming disaster, Alabama, for the most part, has not. See, these are the people that they should be letting go due to the coronavirus. What in the world can this man do? The Alabama Department of Corrections gave us no specific response to our story, directing us to their website detailing their response to the outbreak in general, which says in part, quote, Rest assured that all inmates in our custody will continue to be provided with the services to which they are entitled, including rehabilitative, medical, dental, and mental health through the duration of the COVID-19 outbreak. A response seemingly from a world unlike the one where prisoners say they do not even have basic hygiene needs met. You ain't bring no hand sanitizer with you? I ain't none. I ain't none. The sinks are very outdated. We cannot wash our hands simultaneously at the same time, you know? Leading these inmates to risk retaliation to publicly beg you right now. My thing to the outside world is help. Help. Help for the overcrowding, help for sanitary uh, purposes, help for um, a release mechanism. We need to release some of these people. We need help. And forcing these men to potentially face a horrific fate no judge or jury sentenced them to. It is a death sentence. Death is imminent for those in my age category. Death is imminent for those in his age category. That's what he said. Well, what I want to do now is let's think about that and play some music. And when we come back from our music break, we're going to uh, listen to Harmony Wise tell us about what's going on in Ohio. What you're about to hear now is Jasiri Extra and uh, his song, Don't Let Them Get Away With Murder, uh, with a few comments in the beginning from Sean Combs. Here you go. This is not a test. This is not a test. This is a real life or death state of emergency. I'm calling out to the African-American community to give you some facts. We are in a life or death state of emergency. One out of 10 Americans are black. One out of two of the corona fatalities are black. We are in trouble, my people. We have to come together. We have to communicate. They're not going to give us any time on the news. They're not going to come up with the solutions for us. We have to come up with our own solutions. Check this out. Okay? In Illinois, out of 15%, 42% is African-American. In Louisiana, African-American. In Michigan, 41% African-American. Out of 16,000 deaths, 8,000 of them are African-American. And we're going to be talking about what's going on in the prison systems, which account for over 50%. Black and Latinos account for over 50% of the prison population. And, 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 and it's going down. It's going down. You're getting killed off. This is not a test. I'm just real passionate right now because it's alarming. And it's alarming that we're not alone. Ring the alarm. Ring the alarm.
19, 18, 19, frightening when you hit a rat at that sound. 26, 27, every 28 hours, put another body under that ground. Where the governor, he absent. With the prosecutor and the captain. They say the process is democratic, but we getting bullets even though we got the ballot. Where's Malcolm, where's Chewy? Where's Pac, where's Big, where's Tukey? Where's Jay, where's Nas, where's Snoopy? Yelling, the police like Boosie. Blame Nixon, he's guilty with the whole damn system. These filthy cops of attention. Left Mike in the street, four hour definition of a lynching. That's cause I ain't from down here, they're gonna tell me I need to mind my business. I saw him dead with a bullet in his head, you go to the fans, I'm a witness. This war on us, 44's on us, and he's still telling us be peaceful. Every week another black youth murder, and he still got the nerve to tell us we equal. And when we stand up and put our hands up as a sign of protest, we evil. There's blood on the streets and blood on your hands, this time you answer the people. One, two, three, four, five, six, throw another victim on that pile. Seven, eight, nine incidents, but don't ever get a pink slip in that foul. Ten eyewitnesses, but they never give a give it, cause a pigment is brown. Where the prosecutor, he bought when a watch and stands like Francis Potter. Then blame us when the people get violent. You're the one, the man that created this climate. Wanna be a highness? Better yet a tyrant, cause you wanna try, so our people are defiant. Bringing out the dogs, wanna burn on the hydrant. Generation David ain't afraid of Goliath. We got the power, we got the heart, ain't none of us cowards. All this pain was the Made for the hour. What you gonna do when your cover gets blown? When the whole world see us all separate at home, the complete opposite of that star single song. Hands in the air for those that are gone. Extra, don't let them get away with murder. With comments in the beginning from Sean Paul, uh, Sean Combs, who just uh, talked about this on a video that went viral yesterday. Uh, before we get into uh, Harmony Wise's uh, presentation, uh, I'll leave a moment for comments from my co-host. Yusuf? Yeah, I've, you know... I enjoyed both segments. Of course, I love Jaziri X. I mean, that goes without saying. You know, don't let him get away with murder. But, you know, to hear Diddy saying that, I mean, it's great. He's using his platform in a manner that can really get something done. And hopefully people flock to it and pick up on it. You know, I'm not so certain about some of the numbers he was spewing out there, you know, but... The gist of it is correct, the large numbers, the disparities, all of these things. But it's just great that he's speaking out of, uh, out about it, and hopefully we have more people who have huge platforms that have millions of social media followers and they're influencers and everything.
speak out about it. But until that happens, we're going to keep doing what we do. Yes. This is definitely seems like it's, you know, we're about to let them get away with murder because we know as abolitionists that you could release as much as 50% or more of the prison population and jail population tomorrow with no risk to society whatsoever because most of, their, of them are in there for nonviolent or drug or poverty-related crimes. It's just that bad. So when we hear them talking about letting go of a couple hundred, when you got tens of thousands, uh, and, you know, it just, it's almost like a smack in the face. And then they hide it from us, and the only way we find out is because prisoners risk 40 or 50 years added to their time without a jury by letting us know. Um, Absolutely. All right, I'm going to go ahead and uh, take this opportunity for Harmony to get into her presentation about what's happening in Ohio. And when we're done, we're going to open up the phone line. So if you have something to say, that will be your opportunity uh, to join the conversation. So without further uh, explanation, uh, Harmony YZ, uh, you ready? Yes, I'm ready, Max. I was just unmuting. Um, I did want to comment quickly on the song. I did like the song a lot. Um, and yes. it seems like, you know, um, even during this pandemic, uh, you know, at first, you know, it spread that, you know, it wasn't really affecting, you know, black people. But now it's like we're dying at a higher uh, rate of death than anyone else. So it almost seems um, calculated. Uh, that's a different topic. But I also agree with you, Sis. Um, I do hope to see more people using their platform um, to educate the masses uh, because right now a lot of people are using social media, you know, to uh, basically like uh, self-soothe themselves during this time of quarantine. So it would be good if they're using it to also educate themselves as well. Um, but I'll go ahead and get into what's going on in Ohio. Um, this is just information from... Uh, two different news uh, articles um, talking about how basically uh, Governor Mike DeWine, um, he is requiring inmates to make um, personal protective equipment during the COVID-19 crisis. Um, and so the numbers that came in so far, 500 hospital gowns have been made by inmates at Ohio prisons, and he stated that they'll be able to make up to 44,000 gowns once more fabric is uh, sent to them. Also, uh, 5,000 lowered tech face masks have been made, and they'll be able to create around a total of 2 million masks. Uh, inmates will also be able to make around 1,400 gallons of hand sanitizer, um, and this is across the state. It's not just in uh, one prisoner jail or one county, rather. It's across the state. Um, and uh, they're expecting the ingredients for the sanitizer to be received by uh, this upcoming Tuesday, April 14th. Um, the governor said that they are also creating face shields as well. And um, they've actually <laughs> made workshops within the prisons. Um, so they've made workshops in the prisons in order for them to make these materials. Um, and they also are responsible for making their own masks to wear with in the prison. Um, and also another article from uh, March 27th, the first article that I summarized, and uh, that came from ABC Cleveland. Um, this is from WOSU uh, Radio. And it quotes uh, uh, Chambers Smith, and she is the director for the Ohio Prisons. 
um, the her exact title slipped my mind, but basically she's stating that Ohio Pino Industries has ordered supplies uh, to make has ordered supplies to make cough masks, and the prisoners will be doing that as of April 15th, and they'll be able to make a total of two million when the products come, and that's five thousand a day. Um, they've also sent material over to Ohio Reformatory for Women for Women's Facility in Marysville, Ohio, um, where they're also in charge of making their own mask as well. My question is: Will these inmates will they be penalized if they're unable to meet these production quotas? Um, Dewine and uh, the director has thanked the inmates their duty during a, a pandemic not only supply uh, essential workers with protective equipment, but to make their own protective equipment as well. I think that's absolutely ridiculous that they are making it the job of unpaid prisoners to mass produce protective equipment during global pandemic, uh, protective equipment that should be provided by the state and not at the labor of folks incarcerated by the state forced to d- produce equipment um, to keep everyone alive, essential workers and uh, inmates across the board. Um, and these inmates are at a higher risk to, you know, contracting COVID-19 because they're behind bars and in close quarters. So social distancing is not something that's going to work. It's not a real option in a uh, prison or a jail facility, especially in facilities where they all live in one dorm. And their beds are right next to each other. Um, across the state, there are organizations who are actively working to get Governor DeWine to release more people from the prisons and jails. And I definitely and personally say, you know, free them all. Free Everyone needs to be freed from the prisons and jails because they're going to die at a higher, at a higher rate. But we also know due to the 13th Amendment, they're not going to release them all because they need prisoners and they need to keep people in a state of servitude so they can profit off of them even during a deadly pandemic that is currently producing mass graves um, and where inmates' lives only matter to feed the capitalist machine that thrives off of slavery. Um, So that's all that I have as of now as far as prisoners being forced to mass produce equipment that should be provided by the state. Um, next week, I'll be getting more on t- into the local organizing side that's going on in Ohio, and I will be uh, speaking more on specific data concerning concerning COVID-19 cases within Ohio prisons and jails. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Harmony Wise, for uh, telling us about that. And the question you posed is indeed profound. If you refuse to participate in this free labor, Will you be punished? We already know the answer to that is yes. We went over that in our previous programs where we've had uh, reports of people being punished for not working during normal days. So imagine now when they see it as an emergency and they have to get this out and they tell you, get your behind out of that cell and go in here and go to work and you go, for what, 10 cents an hour? No. Meanwhile, on the outside, they're giving $25,000 bonuses to food workers, <laughs> you know, you sir. Yeah, you're right, Max. You know, uh, 
one thing that I didn't hear in the report, <laughs> you know, that's that's noticeably absent is that the supplies going to the inmates. I didn't hear anything of you know them saying oh, we're making supplies for the inmates. It sounds like that they're making supplies for themselves and making supplies to be sold, but nothing for the actual workers themselves. You know, so that's that's an issue that also ties in with well, what happens if they refuse, because we know that. That's a big issue that happens around the country, you know, that people are thrown into solitary for refusing to work. And it's also uh, something that I wanted to bring up that's going on around the country. You know, we know so many different locales are having that there's this big, this big call for them needing all of these types of supplies and the only people who are actually working in manufacturing right now are the prisoners. You know, all the other factories, any type of factories in the country are closed down right now. So the only place things can be made are in the prisons right now. So that could also tie in with why so many governors are only releasing, if they are going to release, only releasing very small amounts, Max and Anna. Harmony, I'm sorry. Harmony? Yes, you're fine. I, you said you know my name's Hannah, <laughs> but um, I did want to clarify. So the equipment that they're making, it's not only for essential workers and um, correction officers, but they are making them for themselves as well. And uh, the woman's name her is Annette Annette Chambersmith, and she's the director of the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Corrections. Okay. Um, so they are making their own supplies. Um, which is which is ridiculous. Um, this is like they're giving them scraps, just like in the times of plantation slavery, where our people had to, you know, make something out of nothing. And so they're basically doing the same thing within the prison system. Um, when these uh, life-saving equipment should be provided to them on a mass scale. Um, so I just wanted to clarify that. Um, because it was mentioned, and I'll be posting both articles on the page as well for pe- so people can uh, reference them. Thank you. Yusuf, anything? Just uh, as, as uh, Harmony was just mentioning about the page, for those who are unaware, you know, we do have our Facebook page, Abolition Today, where all of the information that we mentioned on the show you can find various links to articles, and you can also find the archive of our shows on our uh, website, abolitiontoday.org. You can go there and you can see all five uh, episodes of our shows. Absolutely, man. You know, uh, you guys kind of covered the bases on all of that, so I'm going to backtrack a little bit to what I heard earlier from Sean Combs. You know, I listened to it in its entirety. What we heard here on this program was just a clip from what he actually said. And what he actually said and what he's doing disturbed me greatly. First of all, one of the things that was preeminent in his conversation is how we going to get part of this $2 trillion. Like, dude, you're a freaking billionaire, man. You should be adopting a city right now, you know, spending your own money to help your brothers and sisters out there. Not talking about how you're going to get a ha- your hands on this $2 trillion. And then the other thing that bothered me uh, greatly is 
whenever we have a crisis like this, you pull out the same people who have nothing to do with the crisis. You know, if you look across the country and across the world, the, when people are trying to determine how to handle this, they don't call rappers. They don't call Al Sharpton. Sharpton. They don't call out Van Jones. They don't uh, call on uh, people that have no knowledge or no experience or no expertise in this at all. Somewhere in America right now, there is a virologist, a black virologist, sitting by the phone going, I wonder why Puffy didn't call me. Once you got the rappers on there, we don't need to hear from rappers right now. We need to hear from specialists. So, you know, how is it that whenever we call emergency for the black community, somehow or another the same voices keep popping up no matter the topic? What in the hell can, uh, you know, and there's no disrespect to the efforts that he's done for mass incarceration, but what in the hell can never killed anybody Mike tell me about a virus? You know? <laughs> Before I get out on rant, let me pass the mic. <laughs> no, what you say is 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 actual facts, Mac. You you know you're not talking out your behind or anything. You know <laughs> that that's something that we discuss all the time. You know it seems like when it comes to us, they only throw people who are going to bring more emotionalism into the argument as opposed to someone who's going to come where they have real credentials in whatever the topic that's being discussed. So rather than, you know, bringing an issue from an intellectual standpoint, it comes from the emotional standpoint. And so they'd rather have get us riled up as opposed to us coming from an intellectual base and attacking it from other means, you know, going through the courts or going through the political realm. So that's my take on it. Harmony? Um, oh, you know, before you answer, Harmony, let me just point oh, something out real quick. We do want you to call in if you're listening right now. Uh, dial 515-605-9814, 515-605-9814, and press the number one on your keypad so I know that you'll want to speak. In the meantime, we will continue the conversation. Go ahead, Army. Yeah, so I was, uh, yeah, I remember you spoke about this with me, uh, I believe it was the other day, last night, uh, when we had our pre-show conversation. Um, I definitely agree, you know, rappers like uh, Diddy and, uh, you know, Jay-Z that have millions of dollars, well, Jay-Z's a billionaire now, so (laughs) that has billions of dollars, they should definitely be doing more to basically put their money where their mouth is because you can have all these, you know, conversations on change and, you know, all these forums and discussions, but if you're not actively out in the community, and I say this from someone who has actively been out in the community to make change, specifically when it comes to police brutality, they they, they did the same thing when it comes to uh, when it came to police brutality. They'll have these conferences and you know these discussions, but that's it, you know. And I think that's quite ridiculous because you have enough money to actively help people actively get more equipment. Like um, the singer Rihanna, she donated $5 million to COVID-19. 
um, to help right. with that. Uh, you know, basically getting equipment out there. There have been organizations who have actively put their money where their mouth is instead of just speaking on it and, you know, creating these forums and discussions and then going back to your quarantine paradise because everybody's <laughs> quarantine ain't the same. So I just, you know, it, it becomes very frustrating. <laughs> right. You know, everybody's quarantine not the same, and it's being on the front line for so you know, for so long, not in the past year, but just going hard for three years straight and seeing how we as organizers, we suffer, yet everyone around us is flourishing. And even in these uh, nonprofit organizations who claim to, you know, help and uh, talk about social justice, who are on the front lines are actively suffering. So when he's when he's out there asking about the money, <laughs> It's, like, ridiculous. Like, you have all this money. Why aren't you actively going to your old neighborhood in Brooklyn and, and in Harlem and, you know, helping those people? Because New York City is getting their ass kicked by COVID-19. And it's the poor black and brown people that are in the Bronx and in, in Queens and Harlem and in Brooklyn that are suffering the most and dying at a higher rate. So I, I just think he needs to either, sorry, shut the fuck up or, or – Put some money on the table. Amen, man. <laughs> Tribal is echoing your comments back there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you, you're absolutely right, man. It drives me nuts when I see this happen. And I know that him and Oprah and Dr. Trey and all these new black billionaires that have been popping up all over the place have enough money, really, to reach out to the black community and do what needs to help us, provide us with the things that we need out of their own pocket. Don't wait for nobody. You got a billion damn dollars, man. You know, <laughs> it's crazy talk. And then to be concerned about how you going to get the money. That is just outrageous. And stop throwing these same talking heads in our face for every emergency. Everything is not a freaking conspiracy theory that needs conspiracy theorists to get up there and tell us about it. Some things need experts to discuss the facts here on Abolition Today. Uh, for instance, you know, we stay in our lane. There are very few people on this planet that know more collectively about modern slavery and human tra trafficking as it is practiced by the 13th Amendment than the three people on this thing right here. <laughs> so, or in the one behind me. We stay in our lane, you know. We're not going to get up here and try to tell you all about the COVID virus when we don't really know. We're, we're looking for information like everybody else, and we want to get it from legitimate sources, not just the same people that you keep throwing in our face all the time, like an Al Sharpton. Like, when the hell did Al Sharpton become an expert on virology? I, I, I don't know, <laughs> but we're getting them. You know, we have the world's highest child poverty rate in the industrialized world. It's combined with the world's largest prison population on planet Earth. It's mixed with a racist health care system where you're left to die just because you can't afford medicine or medical procedures. And I say that from experience as a person who would have died if I couldn't afford my damn medicine and if people came together to help me get it. It's like a welcome sign for a pandemic. Right, I'm going to check these phone lines and see if anybody's got their hands up by pressing the number one. Uh, press the number one if you would like to say something, and I'll bring you on in. Uh, if not, you can just go ahead and continue listening because uh, uh, we only have a few more minutes left. 
for comments uh, from our callers if you'd like to call in, and then we're going to go into our last two segments. So I'm going to pass the mic one more again to my brother Yusuf if you want to add anything yes. more to this conversation. I'd just like to acknowledge a few people uh, that have chimed in through text or, or uh, who've, who've put messages up. Uh, Clarence Bell, he mentioned that he couldn't find the link. I sent him the link. I hope he was able to get the link to the, to the uh, program. Uh, also, Cole Rodriguez. You know, she checked in early, and of course, our brother Quiet Storm is on the line listening in. So I just wanted to, you know, acknowledge them as well as as the many others who are listening from wherever they're listening from, whether it's on the internet or through their phones, who just haven't chimed in. Oh, uh, we got somebody. My man Tony Crane said he wants to say something. So let me see. I'm gonna have to guess which number his his is. Uh, he's out in New York, so let's go with this 210 number. 210, is this Tony Crane? No, no, no. What, what other numbers you have? Okay, I got 646 uh, also, area code 646. Yeah, that's going to be New York right there. All right, let me try that. That's probably Tony. All right, hold on for a second. And is 646, your mic, your mic is open. Is this Tony? Hotel, this is Tony Crane. Hey, hey what's Tony. happening, brother? Welcome to Adoration's Day. Thank you, thank you. It's, you have to turn your uh, your microphone down in the back or whatever you're listening to. Okay. Me, one moment. Give me one moment. Too close to the fan. What it is. How's that? You're good. You're good. So what's, right, your, yeah. what's your comment, uh, uh, Tony? And thanks for calling in. Um, I had a few. Um, since you know, since I chimed in, I heard a couple of different points I wanted to uh, mention. Um, starting with, and about as far as the prisons are concerned, the um, condition of the prisons. Um, I just spoke to my brother today. He's in Greenhaven, which I think is in Schenectady, in upstate New York. Yeah, and like I said before. Um, I told Max before that he called me a couple of weeks ago and said that the prisons, they were all lying to the prisoners saying that um, there were no cases of coronavirus, but 36, um, 36 COs had it and they were keeping them in uh PC. They were keeping them in their own block. And he just called me today. They're still letting them go back and forth home. Like, and inmates are dying, you know, six in his block. And they don't have any type of personal protective equipment at all. Um, so, yeah, it's really bad up there. Um, he hasn't told me anything about whether or not they're forcing them to make masks and things of that nature. But, yeah, that's a – I just spoke to him a few hours ago. So, it's, it's insane. Um, Send him my best. Uh, thank you, man. You said you had some other comments as well. Yes. Um, about the uh, the these in, these industry. Uh, I don't even know what to call them because they're all poses, as far as I'm concerned. You see, like people like Diddy, that always jump up and try to be the spokesperson for the people, and they have no prerequisite, nothing to um prove that they even have what it takes to do that trying to be 
They're trying to emulate what they saw because the music industry, as far as I'm concerned, artists, it's our obligation to um, lead and speak for the people. Max knows that I'm in. I'm a rapper, so well, I'm an MC. I'm not a rapper. I'm an MC. Um, <laughs> and these, you know, these guys, they could do anything. They could say. They can say anything. They have the. They have the platform, you know. But they're not saying anything worth anything anymore. You know what I mean? Back in the day, like uh, you had the artists, the musicians, man. They spoke for us. You know, it was Muhammad um, Ali, Nina Simone, right, they, Muhammad Ali. They spoke for us. The music drove us. It, you know, music. Like I was just telling my son two days ago, is the only thing that activates every single part of our brain, and I, I, that's what we need. You know, we need it back. You know what I mean? So, but I don't. I don't trust Diddy. I don't trust any of them. None of them. You know what I mean? Uh, not to lead anyone. I don't trust Al Sharpton. You know, they wouldn't. They, they, they're they not going to come back here to do anything. It's not in their interest because, you know, if they come back here and help anyone, especially like Oprah, they can do whatever they want in other countries. Africa, build, go ahead, build, a, build a school in Africa. Yeah, go ahead. Not here, though, because if you do that here, you're losing your money. We got stuff on you. You're going to lose everything. Don't You're not allowed to help here. You're just going to be a an example of what you can make. An illusion. You know what I mean? So man, it's it's crazy. I watched that I watched a little bit of that um video. What was that, last night or the night before last? With Diddy and uh Al Sharpton and them. Last night. I watched a little bit of it. Um yeah, it was last night, eleven. Eleven PM, right. I just kept on uh commenting that they need to be talking about the 13th Amendment and the exception clause, literally. I mean, I just kept on spamming. I was spamming it repeatedly. And I was atting them on Twitter, like, why aren't you answering the question? I was, I was really I was really serious. Right. <laughs> you know, the last time they had that revolt thing on television, Killer Mike came on and started talking about how we're fighting over who's got the best slave master. And then as an afterthought, he said, what we should be talking about is the 13th, the 13th Amendment and ratifying the 13th Amendment. I don't remember what that meant. But if you remember, right after that, they started cutting them off and changing the topic. Like, we can't talk about that. Right. <laughs> you know? like, they don't want people to lead towards the truth. They just want to keep them uh, listening to what these people have to say. Absolutely. Absolutely. Was there anything us. else you wanted to add to that, Tony? Uh, just, you know, it's up to, oh, yeah, I did. Um, That's what I wanted to say. The other thing was I just shared a post on the um, Big Speaks News and Legalized Slavery about a judge. Hold on one second. A judge, uh, a California judge named John Tiger, Tiger, something like that. He's suggesting that they use the private prisons now to hold prison, uh, prisoners during this COVID-19 pandemic, Man. which is it's awfully convenient being that they're getting hit so hard in California about these private prisons. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Yes. Right. Uh, California's prisons at one point were 150% uh, occupancy rates, more than they could actually hold. 
and they were ordered by the Supreme Court to release, I think it was like 3,000 prisoners or something like that. But instead of releasing them, they used human trafficking and sent them to other states like Arizona, where they were housed in private prisons there, just so they can keep that money flowing, because all those beds need to be filled, and each bed is worth, worth X amount of dollars. And that's what we're looking at right now. They don't want to give up this money that they had for those, those beds. And as soon as these beds are empty because somebody died or they released them or whatever, they're going to fill them. Yes, anyway, thank you. I appreciate you listening and chiming in. And uh, thank you so thank much you. for your commentary. Thank you, brother. And uh, thanks for the help with the forums as well. All right, well, we're coming up on uh, we'll come up on our last of our, our segments here. Uh, and you know, when we get to the bridge and the gap, we like to just chill and listen to that with you because it's a very powerful segment and it's one of my favorites. Uh, but before that. I want to give our co-host, my co-host opportunity to say whatever they want to say and offer any closing quotes or statements before we go into that segment. So let's start with Harmony. Uh, I just want to thank everyone for tuning in and um, hope you guys come back next week to hear uh, more updates from myself and uh, Yusuf. Um, and uh, you can definitely check out the Facebook page, Abolition Today. I'll be posting the links to the articles that I were, was quoting from earlier. And um, I do want to stay safe and, you know, use precaution. Stay safe and healthy. Take care of yourselves, please. Thank you, Max. Thank you. Yusuf? Yes. Uh, I'd like to add on to what Harmony just stated same thing. I want everyone to stay safe out there, but be proactive at the same time, you know, that although we're staying at home, we're still working, you know, we're still, if if there's a phone zap that needs to be made to a jail, then we're still doing these things. We're still doing the work that we do, and it just doesn't stop. So I want everyone to keep that in mind as we move forward. Uh, we also... Uh, we're going to do our quotes now as well, Max? Yes. Okay. So I want to quote, this is this gentleman's name is Craig Kilberger. He's a Canadian author, columnist, uh, social entrepreneur, and activist for children's rights, specifically when it comes to uh, human trafficking and imprisonment of children. He has a quote that I find, you know, that's very profound. He said, It's easier to be ignorant and say, I don't know about the problem. But once you know, once you've seen it in their eyes, then you have a responsibility to do something. There is strength in numbers, and if we all work together as a team, we can be unstoppable. And, of course, you know, I always close out with the words of Malcolm, if you're not ready to die for it, put the word freedom out of your vocabulary. Amen, brother. All right, I'll share my final statement in a quote as well. And when I'm done with my quote, uh, you can go ahead and introduce our next segment. Okay, Yusuf? Absolutely. All right. I, I want to ask you to do me a favor and go to Abolitionist Today on Facebook and click the like and follow button so you can follow us every week in real time of what we're doing. I want to give a shout-out to Jeanette Smith, who is helping us to put these this information out there for you as we speak of it in real time. So you can have it there to be able to peruse it yourself and do whatever research 
you want to do. Also, please uh, check out our YouTube page. The links will be made available on our Abolition Today site on Facebook. We don't even have YouTube.com slash Abolition Today because we've got to get 100 subscribers before we can get that .com. So please subscribe to the page and uh, click follow. We are putting out some wonderful, powerful material on those social media sites. So make sure you follow us there at YouTube and also on Facebook. Here's my quote for the day, and this comes from William Lloyd Garrison. I am aware that many object to the severity of my language, but it is, is there not cause for severity? I will be as harsh as truth and as uncompromising as justice. On this subject, I do not wish to think or to speak or write with moderation. No, no. Tell a man whose house is on fire to give a moderate alarm. Tell him to moderately rescue his wife from the hands of the ravisher. Tell the mother to gradually extricate her babe from the fire into which it has fallen. But urge me not to use moderation in this cause like the present. I am in earnest. I will not equivocate. I will not excuse. I will not retreat a single inch. And I will be heard. William Lloyd Garrison, Liberator. That was very powerful, Max. Very powerful. So we're going to go into our final segment, Bridging the Gap. We're, uh, I also want to remind everyone that archives for all of our shows is, is available on Blog Talk uh, Radio slash Abolition. You can also go to abolitiontoday.org. So this will be our fifth part of Ozzie Davis reading Frederick Douglass. After t- so in this segment, it's going to be after Frederick Douglass takes his freedom and starts a new life, Frederick is introduced to William Lloyd Garrison's publication, The Liter- uh, Liberator, and it sets his heart on fire, much like the listener hearing us today for the first time. And we will follow up that segment with our closing song by Nina Simone with us one more again singing Revolution. So... We thank you all for tuning in to this week's broadcast. Peace and blessings be upon all of you, and we pray that everyone stays safe, but stay active in your mission. Abolition. Abolition. But this gladness was short-lived, for I was not yet out of the reach of the power of the slaveholders. Thank heaven, I remained but a short time in this distressed situation. A sailor, warm-hearted and generous fellow, saw me standing on the opposite sidewalk, wondering what next to do. As he approached me, I ventured a remark to him, which at once enlisted his interest in me. He took me to his home to spend the night, and in the morning went with me to Mr. David Ruggles, the Negro Secretary of the New York Vigilance Committee, an organization of free Negroes and white abolitionists which assisted fugitive slaves. I was hidden with Mr. Ruggles several days, during which Anna, my intended wife, came on from Baltimore on my call to share the burdens of life with me. She was a free woman of color and came at once on getting the good news of my safety. We were married, after which we left for New Bedford, Massachusetts, where Mr. Ruggles thought I could find work at my trade as a corker. Upon reaching New Bedford, we were directed to the house of Mr. and Mrs. Nathan Johnson, by whom we were kindly received. On the morning after our arrival, the question arose as to what name I should be called by. The name given me by my mother was... Frederick Augustus Washington Bailey. 
I, however, had dispensed with the two middle names long before I left Maryland, so that I was generally known by the name of Frederick Bailey. When I left Baltimore, I changed my name to Stanley, and then on reaching New York, to Johnson. But there were so many Johnsons in New Bedford that it was thought advisable for me to have a different name. I gave Mr. Johnson the privilege of choosing me a name, but told him that he must not take from me the name of Frederick. I must hold on to that to preserve my sense of identity. Mr. Johnson had just been reading Walter Scott's Lady of the Lake and at once suggested that my name be Douglas after the great character in that poem. From that time on, I was called Frederick Douglass. I found employment the third day after my arrival and stowing a sloop with a load of oil. It was new, dirty, and hard work for me, but I went at it with a glad heart and a willing hand. It was a happy moment, the rapture of which can be understood only by those who have been slaves. It was the first work, the reward of which was to be entirely my own. There was no master standing ready the moment I earned the money to rob me of it. I worked that day with a pleasure I had never before experienced. I was at work for myself and a newly married wife. It was to me the starting point of a new existence. I had been living four or five months in New Bedford when there came a young man to me with a copy of The Liberator, the paper edited by William Lloyd Garrison, and asked me to subscribe to it. I told him I had just escaped from slavery and, and was, of course, very poor and had no money then to pay for it. He was very willing to take me as a subscriber notwithstanding, and I read the paper from week to week. It soon took a place in my heart second only to the Bible. It detested slavery and made no truce with traffickers in the bodies and souls of men. It preached human brotherhood. It denounced oppression and with all the solemnity of thus saith the Lord, demanded the complete emancipation of my race. The paper became my meat and my drink. My soul was set on fire. Its sympathy for my brethren in bonds, its scathing denunciations of slaveholders, and its powerful attacks upon the upholders of the institution sent a thrill of joy through my soul, such as I had never felt before. Of all the evil that will have to end
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.